think it's important to be able to write. Too many people come in and can't write. They can't put together a proposal. They don't know. They don't have the basic fundamental skills of writing. So I think having good, strong writing skills are important. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. We talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, innovation, all different things. I'm Joe Favorito, usually joined by my co-host, Tom Richardson. But today we're going to bring you inside another special edition from the Columbia Sports Management Conference, which was held on campus on October 6, 2023. This edition will be with John Miller, the President of Acquisitions and Partnerships at NBC Sports, and was moderated by one of our faculty members uh, and the CEO and co-founder of Collegiate Sports Management Group, Ray Katz. In it, Ray and John will talk about all things about digital streaming, innovation, broadcast, the Olympics, and also give some career advice. We hope you enjoy this special edition, and let's bring you Ray and John now. All right. So as I introduce the next uh, keynote, there is a, a moment of distinction here for John Miller, uh, who is the president of programming and acquisitions, acquisitions and programming for NBC Sports, a uh, longtime fixture in the industry. And if even you caught the, the quick hellos uh, in between. So Larry Jones will be on a panel this afternoon. So Fox Sports, NBC Sports, uh, you know, meeting of the minds um, that, that occurs even in the front of the room, which is always fun to see as well. Um, so uh, doing the one-on-one -on -one today is with, with John is, is Ray Katz. Um, Ray's longtime faculty member here uh, teaching sports media. Uh, and uh, does, a, does a really good job in the classroom for us, um, for those of you who are potentially thinking about taking uh, the uh, sports media class down the road. Um, and, uh, you know, and so what, very thrilled to have uh, Ray doing this with, with John. Uh, congratulations are in order, John, if I may. Uh, John just became a grandfather uh, for the first time. Thank you. Thank you. So he'll have to bid adieu a little bit early because he's going to go meet his grandson for the first time. Uh, so, uh, so really happy that you were able to do this and greatly appreciate it. Uh, so I'm going to get out of the way. Uh, Ray, take it away. Thank you so much, Scott. Um, we are really blessed here today to have John Miller, President of Acquisitions and Partnerships for NBC Sports. There is nobody in the country and maybe the world that can do a better job. Not, no pressure. Uh, <laughs> It, it, educating everybody here a bit about the past, the present, and the rapidly changing future of the sports business. John uh, is credited with creating the Winter Classic, truly a fixture that to some extent has newsjacked New Year's Day and has also led efforts of NBC Sports to acquire upwards of 10,000 hours of programming including such amazing events as the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, the Breeders' Cup, the NFL, the French Open, Notre Dame football, Tour de France, and much more. He also oversees the PGA Tours Players' Championship, another great created event, the Open Championship, the President Cup, President's Cup, etc. And we'll talk a little bit today about John's role and how NBC Sports did in such, such an incredible job securing Big Ten football. That's going to be something that's quite interesting, and then bringing the USGA championships back to NBC, uh, which was uh, really successful. And then also John will cover the role of Peacock, the crucial role of Peacock in making the economics for all of this work. 
I'm really privileged to know John and work with John for over 20 years, and I'm excited to uh, hear from John. Before we do, we're going to play a couple of videos, and John will say a few words about those as well. Right. Well, so thank you. So it was casual Friday for me. You guys are so much better dressed today than I am, but it's great to be here. This is my second time uh, having been invited to this conference, and I was thrilled when, uh, when Scott and, and Ray reached out. So happy to be here. Um, we'll talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, thank you for that introduction. I always like to say, if my parents were still alive, my, my father would have been proud and my mother would have believed it. So it's, it's uh, one of the properties that, that Ray mentioned, and I, I can't go any longer without recognizing Larry Jones, who's here, who's my counterpart at Fox, um, who was really instrumental in, in two things. Number one, in helping NBC reacquire the USGA. He and I did battle for over a month very quietly without anybody knowing what was going on to bring the USGA rights back to NBC. Um, after they had been on Fox, and then, you know, obviously Fox is such an amazing partner in college football and has such a prominent position when it comes to the Big Ten, and the Fox guys were very instrumental in helping us craft this package to create Big Ten Saturday night, so special shout out to Larry, because none of this happens without his help. But what I thought I would do is I would bring you a video of how we introduced, and when we get behind a property of the magnitude of Big Ten football, and we create a day part in Big Ten Saturday night. We bring all the different parts of our company together, and NBC Universal is part of a much bigger company, as you know, with Comcast. But we bring everybody together when we create something really special. And we took the model and the blueprint that we used for Sunday night football, which is the number one rated show in prime time and has been for the past 12 years, but to create a special opening. As you know, with Sunday night football, we have an opening with Carrie Underwood, so we decided to go ahead and do the same thing. But rather than get an individual vocalist or something like that, we decided to take a different tact and a different approach. We went and made a deal with the group Fallout Boy, kind of sat with them, told them what we were trying to accomplish, and this is the way we come on the air now for all of our Big Ten games. This was the game that we aired for the Big Ten Notre Dame game uh, a week ago uh, that we'll show you. like this why we love college football. U.S. just had too much firepower. Bottom stars for you on Sunday Night Football. So you would see that throughout all the different NBC properties on cable, on linear, digital, you name it. It's played in the parks, the universal theme parks, because we want to make sure that we reach as many different eyeballs as we can and help brand this thing. Um, when Ray invited me to come, we talked a little bit about how our industry, the sports television industry, is really at an inflection point. Um, and people say, oh, it always changes, but I don't think you're we've seen the kind of change and the kind of evolution that we're witnessing right now. Um, and a large part of it is because what's happened to the cable television ecosystem. Um, by way of example, in 2011, just uh, 12 years ago,
cable television was really the dominant, the dominant driver of acquisition for big sports rights fees. And you had someone like ESPN that was in 105 million households, and broadcast television was in 120 million households. So you had a 15 million home delta. And at the time, ESPN was probably charging somewhere in the 8 to $9 per month range for ESPN. Fast forward to September 1st of 2023, and those cable television homes have dropped to just below 70 million. So that's a 35 million drop at $10 a month. That's a significant amount of revenue. And that's affected everybody who's in the cable television business. It's affected Fox Sports One, it's affected us, it's affected you know anybody who's using that revenue from that distribution to help fund your acquisitions. We had the benefit of being owned by Comcast, who kind of saw this forecast you know, five or six years out back in 2018-19. We had a 24-hour sports network in NBCSN, and they, they came to us and showed us what the long tail was on the erosion of, of paid television that way. And we made the decision to shut down NBCSN. We migrated a lot of our premium sports, whether it's Olympics, golf, NASCAR, Premier League, uh, over to USA Network, which is a very strong cable entertainment network. And then we migrated the balance of those properties over to Peacock. And we launched a streaming service uh, that had a free you know, trial period that eventually came out at five bucks a month and is growing pretty steadily. And as you'll see, as we talk about today, more and more of our premium properties are finding a home on Peacock. I don't believe, though, that a sport, and certainly a major league, is going to want to put all of their properties on a streaming service only. I think it's the combination of having a broadcast network, a cable network with USA and streaming um, that helps you go get along and helps you really grow a property. So that's what we're facing today. I think a lot of properties that are coming to market are finding out the hard way that there's not that, that free cash flow to spend on properties. I think beachfront real estate like the NFL, like the NBA, um, like big-time college football, um, like the Olympics, like major, major properties like that, they will continue to command big rights fees and big license fees and also generate big audiences and big sponsorship. But those properties that are below that level or that are one-offs are going to find it much more challenging to maintain that level of investment that they've been used to for the past 30 or 40 years. It's interesting. One of the things we've noticed is that the blue chip properties are winning, and then the real niche properties are winning. So because of streaming, they had no option. It's the properties in the middle that really have a challenge. How much would you attribute the amazing success, John, of NBC Sports on being not only horizontally integrated, but vertically integrated and having cable presence in homes? Well, I think we have, you know, we have the benefit of, of, of obviously Comcast, so we've got that Xfinity marker with 24 million Xfinity homes right off the bat. Um, but we have something at NBC called Symphony, which is now a Harvard Business School case study, where everybody in the company kind of comes together. Everybody gives, everybody gets. So when you have these big properties like Sunday Night Football, like the Olympics, like the Premier League, like the Kentucky Derby, like the Big Ten Saturday Night, you will see it marketed, promoted, showcased all across the company. Everybody has a mutual goal and an investment to see it be successful, not only on a linear platform, but obviously on a, on a streaming platform where with the Big Ten, we have 16 Big Ten football games on broadcast on NBC, and we have eight Big Ten football games exclusively on Peacock. 
The 16 games that are on NBC are also simul-streamed on Peacock, but there is no Big Ten football at all on cable. It's all either broadcast or streaming. That's, that's an awesome uh, perspective. Going back to June 2022, if you looked at the Power Five, the vulnerable one at that point in time seemed to be the Big 12. They had sort of the least established media strategy and media platform and ecosystem, if you will, and everything changed. So, John, how important is media and has, how important media has been in terms of determining that the tide shifted in favor of the Big 12? Well, I think that's a great case to pay, pay attention to because clearly the Pac-12 has so many good competitive schools. They were in the middle of a 10-year deal with ESPN and Fox for their rights. But I give a lot of credit to Brett Yormark, um, who took over as commissioner of the Big 12. I had worked with Brett when he was at NASCAR. He eventually went to run the Nets, and he became the commissioner of the Big 12. He recognized, A, that he was, you know, fifth out of five. He had to make a move. He hired a very strong agency who was really adept and facile in working through the college football television space. They expanded quickly. They went out and got some teams and they hit the market, and they probably accepted less money than they wanted to, but they got their deal locked up. And so between what we did with Big Ten, you know, Fox obviously has a very robust college football package with, with the Big Ten, but also with the Big 12. Um, ABC and ESPN are obviously locked into the ACC and the SEC. By the time the Pac-12 came to market, it was like a game of musical chairs, and there was no chairs left for them. With all the uh, buzz about streaming, why should or should not a property, and this was an option for the Pac-12, for example, go streaming only uh, or streaming first, as in the case of uh, Apple TV? What are some of the things that a major property should be considering and perhaps maybe more of a minor property like uh, any of the rugby platforms? Well, I think what, what happens is if you go streaming exclusively, you get your niche audience, but you don't bring really anybody new to the table. And that becomes a real problem. Amazon is a little bit of an outlier only because Thursday Night Football and the NFL is such a huge promotional marketing machine. But I think that when a property wants to make a decision, they also want that linear platform because they need that promotion. They need that megaphone of, of talking to people, but also bringing casual fans in. So they have a, a broadcast platform or a linear platform and a streaming platform. And there are very few properties that are out there that I've seen that have been able to make it solely on a streaming platform. Yeah, we work with um, a whole range of college conferences outside the Power Five, and uh, it's been really interesting to see that the same event or an equivalent event on streaming still does anywhere between 5 to 10% of the audience that it would do on national television, uh, specifically Big Sky Conference, Colonial, et cetera. However, I want to I point out one exception to that, and that is the Premier League in soccer. Yep. So we have all of the Premier League, and when you own all of a property, you're able to try different things, and you're able to maximize and utilize all the different assets at your disposal. So for the Premier League, there are 380 fixtures every year, and we put 25 to 30 of those on NBC, and we put about 150 of them on USA Network on cable. But the remaining 180 to 200 games are all exclusively on Peacock. So Peacock has those 180 games plus the 30 games we do on NBC. And when we first did it, the Premier League was very concerned. Our sponsors and advertisers were concerned. We were concerned. <laughs> How are we going to do this? And now what's happened is we have seen that Premier League fans are very savvy. They find their games. 
They're used to watching it on Peacock. The advent of connected television has made watching games on a streaming service that much easier. And our ratings are now exceeding on Peacock what we did on NBCSN and for big fixtures for Arsenal Tottenham or Liverpool Man City that we put on Peacock. Those numbers exceed what we did on USA Network. So we're doing a million one, a million two, a million three viewers on streaming, which was unheard of when we launched Peacock, you know, three years ago. In view of that success, how important was Peacock in terms of acquiring the Big Ten and, and closing the Big Ten? Uh, we, we would not have been able to do the Big Ten deal if I didn't have Peacock. I mean, that, that's really the, the driver to get it. Now, they, they recognize that they're not going to get all the big games, but they're going to have really strong games. They had opening weekend, they had Penn State, uh, they had Michigan opening weekend, they had Penn State week two. Uh, they had the Michigan State-Washington game week three. Notre Dame played on their week four. Uh, there's going to be an Ohio State-Purdue game coming up here next week, which the folks in, in Columbus and, and West Lafayette are all up in arms about because they're going to have to go out and get Peacock. But, you know, I, I like to say, just because you pay income taxes doesn't mean you get all of your television for free. And, <laughs> and there are people out there who think because they've had the ability to get it either on broadcast or they haven't thought about their cable television bills or whatever, that they should be able to get all this stuff. Unfortunately, all of these properties are looking for more and more investment. We obviously see the value in investing in those properties because it drives our business so many different places. But you have to find a way to monetize it and, and pay for it. And so it's not just on sponsorship or cable fees. It's distribution fees and sign-ups for Peacock, et cetera. John, um the NBA is really the next big property that's up for grabs. What do you see as the future of NBA media rights and the process of acquiring those? We will be one of the many puppies with their nose pressed against the glass, you know, trying to make the case for the NBA to come back home. We, we enjoyed a wonderful 12-year relationship with the NBA. David Stern was a brilliant commissioner. Adam Silver was his deputy. I mean, we... We enjoyed the Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, you know, Carl Malone, just at that spectacular time. Many of you know Round Ball Rock and Inside Stuff and all these things that were associated with the NBA. NBA triple headers on a Sunday. I mean, it was really terrific. But we got to the point in 2002 where NBC did not have a second home where we could exploit the NBA the way the NBA needed uh, to grow. So they made the decision it was not acrimonious in any way. It was very bittersweet when we said goodbye to the NBA in 2012 and they went and made their deal <clears throat> with Disney and ESPN. And by the way, Disney and ESPN do a tremendous job with the NBA, as does Turner um, with their property. But now as we evolve and that deal comes up in 2025, the media ecosystem has changed dramatically to where the point where cable television, which was such an important part of growing the NBA in the past, you know, literally 21 years, now is not as important as getting that young audience, getting that upscale, savvy audience that will watch on any platform they can. And they want to be able to take the NBA with them. They don't want to be tied to sitting at home in front of their TVs. If they want to watch it, you know, going someplace else, they can take it and watch it on their phone. They can watch it on their tablet. Um, you know, if, if you have a streaming account, you can watch it pretty much anywhere you go. So they understand the value of streaming. Um, I think they see that there's an opportunity out there with NBC and what we bring to the table. They certainly have seen what we've done with Sunday Night Football, what we've done with the Big Ten, what we do with the Olympics. Um, we still have maintained 
very good relationships with, with all the people at the NBA. But they're in the middle of an exclusive relationship with their two partners, and we're very respectful of that. Those run until the spring of 2024, and I would imagine that in May or June of 2024, if they haven't extended their deals exclusively and there's an opportunity to have a conversation, that will certainly be there. John, what advice would you uh, have for our students in terms of as they select their course curricula, how important is sports media, and then career advice moving forward for both our current students, our recent alums, and some of the young professionals that I've been lucky enough to teach that are in the room? Well, I think you're, you know, I always, when I travel and I teach at different schools, I always tell people, try to spend some time in New York. So I don't have to tell you that. You're already here. Um, I think two, two areas of concentration that get overlooked but I find are very important, and I especially look at when I'm talking to people who are getting out and want to get into business. Certainly having some firsthand experience, either through internships or real jobs in the business is critical. I think it's important to be able to write. Too many people come in and can't write. They can't put together a proposal. They don't know. They don't have the basic fundamental skills of writing. So I think having good, strong writing skills are important. <clears throat> And I also think from the business side to have an understanding of finance. You don't have to take a whole host of finance courses, but really understand how the business world works and stuff like that. And then, you know, obviously getting yourself out there, talking to as many people as you can, network. Um, don't be afraid to try something hard. Don't be afraid to do something that's not in your wheelhouse. It's difficult. You're young enough now that you can make a mistake. Oftentimes, you learn from those experiences that you didn't love, but you also learn what you don't love and what you do want to do. But you'd be surprised taking on uncomfortable jobs sometime makes you better and makes you more equipped when you go and take your next job. You're going to go through. I'm a dinosaur. I am readily <laughs> understand that. At the end of this month, I will celebrate my 45th year with NBC. So that's a long time. Nobody spends 45 years at a company anymore. When they come time to do cutbacks, I make sure I'm home that day. So, but you're going to have multiple jobs in your career. You're probably going to have six, eight, ten different opportunities that are going to come your way. And every time you're going to use that experience that you had in your prior experience to, to build your careers. So don't be afraid to try something uncomfortable. Don't be afraid to try something that's going to force you to think outside your comfort zone. Because if you do that... And if you're all smart, you wouldn't be here if you weren't, you know, obviously, you know, very smart and very intelligent. You'll be able to use those experiences to help you get onto something better. I would add that uh, John is really at the top of the list in terms of the folks in this industry that are both well-liked and very well-respected. <laughs> and that's really an accomplishment. Um, John, do you have any closing remarks or should I, shall I open no, up? No, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm happy to be here. Let's, let's throw it out there. I'll answer what I can. Sure. Hi, Shannon. I'm in the um, program here. Um, it was said in an earlier panel that women's sports are the future of the industry. Um, however, all the beachfront properties that you are discussing are all men's sports. Um, so I was just wondering where the women's sports fit into that equation. I was hoping for that question. I didn't know I was going to get it first, and I'm really thrilled you asked it. So thank you. We, we do more women's sports than anyone. We obviously do the Olympics. We have a very inve heavy investment in women's golf. Uh, we do the French Open. We, you know... We, we are trying to find ways to do more women's sports. We think that we're doing 30 women's basketball games on Peacock this year. But I also think you have to counterbalance that with where the economies are and where the sponsorship is and where the audiences are. Um, and so while we try to build those sports up, 
we had the Solheim Cup two weeks ago on NBC, the week before the Ryder Cup. I mean, we, we invest heavily in those sports, and we continue to try, and path, try to find paths and ways to do that. I'm sure that whoever is the new NBA partner, the WNBA, will be part of that. But I also think it's incumbent, you know, you, you're, we're a, a, a data-driven business. You look at ratings, you look at sponsorship, you look at advertising, you, you see all of that, and you have to really, really make sure that that's there. I think it's a chicken and egg kind of thing, but I think you do have to give exposure and give opportunities, and I think we do that. I think we all could do more of that, um, but it's a, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Uh, yes, in the back. Back, back here. Okay, okay, perfect. First of all, thanks for being here. Uh, pleasure listening to you today. Uh, my question is, you talked about the NBA a little bit earlier, and with the media deals coming up, NBC trying to think about how they can get involved. Mm -hmm. Are you looking also at the fact that the NBA is trying to expand its markets to different cities and trying to take advantage of those media markets themselves as a way to position NBC where they could potentially be a major player with the NBA? Because I think that's just obviously a trend the NBA is going. Well, I think that the NBA is looking to expand, and they, they currently have such a great product, and they see the value out there. I think one of the things that we're all watching very closely is what's happening with the regional sports business because it is significantly challenged. And as you see more and more RSNs lose traction, lose subscribers, not being able to continue to acquire rights and pay the same fees that they were, that, that creates an opportunity for the NBA to take back control of their product. So I think you'll see local stations getting back involved with the NBA like they used to, but I also think you'll see local streaming opportunities come about. But I think going into new markets, certainly we have 11 owned and operated stations, so we have you know, NBA teams in every one of those markets, but that becomes a, a part of a factor. But overall, we look at it as a global property um, in that way. I think we have time for two more questions. Yes, uh, in the back, hi, please. Uh, thank you for hi. being here. Sure. So my question, I know that NBC fairly caught up quickly with uh, the whole OTT service with Peacock and everything. While I agree that you say we need traditional broadcast service as well as OTT, but now, let's say, for example, NFL. Now there's Thursday Night Football. You've got to get Prime. You've got to get ESPN. You've got to get Peacock, right? But eventually, there'll come a point where a customer or a fan is tired of subscribing to four or five different other services. No question. So how do you plan on tackling that? Even if well, we, we feel that the Peacock opportunity is unique because not only do you get premium sports, but you get 100,000 hours of entertainment, first-run movies, library programming, the WWE, um, and we think that that's a point of difference for us. Also, cost-wise, at five or six bucks a month, we're not as expensive as Amazon Prime or as Netflix or some of these others, but it is, it is a good point. I oftentimes will talk to people and they'll complain about having to buy all these services, and I, say, and I take out a piece of paper and I say, okay, write down how much you're paying for cable, write down how much you're paying for Netflix, for Amazon, for Hulu, for Paramount+. Plus." Hopefully you're buying Peacock. And when they look at the number and they say, my God, I'm spending $400 a month, at some point that, that number is going to come down. They're going to come off. And people are going to you know, decide which of the services that they have to have and which of the services that they're going to have to do without. But it's a very good point. I mean, there are eight different streaming services. You know, I, I come home and I find that we've signed up for one more. When I, you know, but it's, uh, but it's, it's a good point. Last one. Let's make it a great one. No a pressure. pressure. A lot of pressure. Uh, my name's Chris. Thanks for speaking today. Uh, I know Peacock has the first uh, NFL uh, exclusively streamed game coming up this year, so I was wondering 
pros and cons about that decision and what your expectations for that? Well, I, I'm really glad you asked that question. I would get my hand slapped if I didn't mention that. And, and uh, Peacock is going to have the first regular season streaming only game, you know, as well as the first regular season playoff game. We're going to have a wild card game. So the Bills and the, the, um, the Bills and the Chargers are going to play on NBC on September 23rd. We're going to have an NFL game on NBC leading into that to use as a Barker channel. And then we'll have a wild card playoff game uh, on that Saturday of wild card weekend. But we, we felt that it was important to establish the service. The NFL wanted to make sure that we would be able to handle the traffic. We obviously handle the traffic with the Olympics and a bunch of other things. So they felt very comfortable there. But I think that's when people are going to really realize, I think, of all the other things, the Big Ten exclusives and Premier League, that's when people are going to wake up and say, holy cow, an NFL playoff game is only going to, I'm only going to be able, unless I live in, you know, unfortunately, it's not going to be New York because <laughs> you're not going to get it on the local TV. But if you're in a local market, you'll get it on your local channel. Um, but otherwise, you're going to have to have a Peacock subscription to watch that wild card game. So I think it's going to be a, a real groundbreaking time uh, for the business and, quite honestly, for the NFL. Uh, but I give a lot of credit to Roger Goodell and Bob Kraft and the NFL you know, television committee who saw the world changing, who sees what's happened with, with distribution and content distribution and how they have to be early adopters on this kind of property. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate you doing this. Sure. Great Thanks, insight. Thank you. All right, so John, Ray, thank you so much for a fantastic conversation. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the special ed edition of the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, which was taped on October 6th, 2023 at Columbia. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson. Join us again, and we'll see you down the road.